Black lady, black lady adulting. I got bills, I got school, I got, I gotta do. Got a husband with no kids. Every night we work on it. Black lady, black lady adulting. You do not get to wipe the dirt off your hands when the seed you planted has sprouted. Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Black Lady Adulting, a podcast brought to you by yours truly, Joaquina Stone. I'm so excited for today's episode and for today's guest. Um, I'm going to introduce you to her so that we can get this conversation started. Um, and coming off of inauguration, you know, of our 46th president and Kamala D. Harris, I felt like it would be appropriate to discuss media and politics. And I really couldn't think of anyone better to engage in this conversation with me. TV host, voice artist, and event MC Ashley Stevens. So I'm going to read her bio, y'all, because she is credentialed. She has done some work, okay? Um, so whether it's speaking about government affairs on national news, discussing the latest HBCU news on her web series, engaging a crowd as an exciting event MC, or empowering teens as they struggle with self-confidence, the one constant theme is Ashley's unmistakable voice. And she uses her voice to inform, inspire, and empower. As a former news reporter turned communications guru, I call her a media mogul, Ashley has more than 15 years of experience spanning government to nonprofits. She spent most of her career at UNCF, United Negro College Fund, and recently managed media relations on behalf of the US Census Bureau. She currently works in communications at the Maya Tech Corporation. You may have also seen Ashley on TV One's top-rated show, Fatal Attraction, of which she has offered commentary on criminal cases for the past five seasons. She's also appeared on CNN, Oxygen, BET, ID, and The Weather Channel, after having hosted several entertainment talk shows across New York City. And in case her voice sounds familiar, and I'm sure it does, because like I said, she's a big deal, she's been everywhere, Ashley lends her talents to businesses and brands as a voice artist, event MC, and motivational youth speaker. And she can also now add podcasts to her list too. So please welcome Ashley Stevens. Yay! Applause, applause. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, before we dive in, can you tell the listeners where they can watch your web series, what's it called, and where they can find you on social media? Sure, Joaquina, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You sure hype me up as a media mogul. Maybe <laughs> I'm getting there. Maybe I'm a work in progress in the Lord, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, my website, ashley.net, A-S-H-L-E-I, is my website, and you can see um, a few of the video clips and speaking engagements there, but also youtube.com uh, slash Ashley Stevens um, is where I have a show called Hot Topics and Hot Mess. I kind of give my take on uh, pop culture and politics, and I have a, a special affinity for Black interest news. Um, I think sometimes the news about us and our people and our uh, achievements and accomplishments sometimes fly under the radar on, on mainstream news. And I think the good thing about uh, YouTube and social media is that there are a lot more platforms and multimedia ways to tell our stories. Um, and so I'm just glad to be even a small part of that in whatever way that I can to let people know um, that Black people rock. Yes, thank you. And we appreciate it. Your voice is powerful and we need to hear it. Thank you. Yes. So we are going to jump right in. So we are talking about today media and how it impacts our understanding of politics. And like mm -hmm. I said, we're coming off of a you know historical inauguration, but before 
before we talk about that, when I first reached out to you, Ashley, it was following the riots, the rebellion, the insurrection at the Capitol. And I was just so frustrated. I remember watching, you know, I, I don't normally watch the news. I just, I usually read my news, but for this, re for that day, I was like, you know, let me watch this election confirmation. I started watching, I had to take a break because I had a two o'clock meeting. And by three o'clock, when I turned the TV back on, it was complete and utter madness. And it was just like your, you know, web series. It was a hot mess. Like how you said hot mess and hot, uh, what is topics. it? Hot hot topics. Hot mm -hmm. topics. It was a hot mess. Um, and so I feel like before we can delve into the role that the media played in that hot mess, we have to first start with 45th and how the media helped him rise to, rise to power in a really harmful way and elevated his platform in a really harmful way. So can you tell us, you know, your perspective on how the how the media helped 45th rise to power? Absolutely. I think um, the, the, the one thing about Donald Trump that everybody knows is that Donald Trump loves Donald Trump and Donald Trump loves to be the center of attention for better or for worse, because in his narcissistic point of view, everything is about him is for the better even when he is inciting violence that led to death at the nation's capital, um, you know, at, at an already very, very divisive point um, racially in these United States. Um, so I think with Donald, I, I listened to an NPR story that, that had run back in the fall of 2020, uh, back just before the November elections were held. And it kind of highlighted um, Donald Trump's uh, affinity with the media. And NPR called it uh, a mutual obsession between Donald Trump and the press. Mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump has always been front and center, even uh, you know, from his, his self-professed you know, real estate mogul days in, in, in the 80s and kind of being a playboy, being on the nightlife scene, being a socialite, he's always loved the cameras. That only fed and, and, and obviously elevated to him, elevated to him to a reality TV platform mm -hmm. where there were cameras on him showing him as the boss, the boss who got to be in control, the boss who made decisions whether or not to fire people um, or to keep them in place and have them work on his team on, on their respective business ventures. So I think um, he's always had um, privilege. He's always had access to media to tell his side of the story. Mm -hmm. um, he's always had, uh, you know, a major network producing his reality show. So I think by the time that he was, uh, you know, I dare say elected the first time because he did not win the popular vote. But once he was um, inaugurated as president um, after the 2016 election, I think that affinity for attention only grew because he, he grew from being a powerful man in business to a powerful man uh, in reality television and, and, and again in the business world to now the commander in chief of the free world. So that can only do that, that only did nothing but inflate his already very, very large ego. So what I think Donald Trump, I don't wanna give him credit for being successful for much, uh, aside from dividing the nation, um, was he was definitely successful at creating an alternative reality. Um, and that's something that NPR touched on as well is the notion that he got certain media outlets to buy into his very far reaching conspiracy theories that were not grounded or based in any fact. Mm -hmm. And the reality is millions upon millions of people believed him. 
While on the other hand, there were mainstream media outlets that absolutely did what I think they did their best under incredible duress. Again, reporters, particularly women of color, uh, black women, Asian women being called names by the president from the press secretary's pulpit. They did an incredible job having grace under pressure being called names to be as objective as they possibly could to report the news. But again, what you're reporting from his administration, you never know, you never knew if it was accurate. So I think that what we saw is a nonstop blitz of Donald Trump news because you never know, you never knew what to believe. Um, I think that um, the, the past four years with Donald Trump um, at the helm of the United States was an interesting time for a lot of media outlets because if they didn't have fact checkers before, good gracious, that was a time where they had to beef up on them, right? I mean, I, I can only, you know, you can really think about it, especially as someone, as you mentioned, you read a lot more of your news than, than you actually watch it visually. I am a self-professed news junkie and I love political and congressional and just government related news because I worked in government adjacent communications roles. Um, and so many stories after he would give a speech, after he would give remarks, after he would have rallies, they had to be fact-checked. I don't know if you can recall in the history of recent presidents, we didn't see this type of fact-checking with Obama. I'm not saying it didn't happen. We didn't see this type of fact-checking with Bush. I'm not saying it didn't happen. It didn't happen to the degree that it does now because of the blatant disinformation that was spewed from the White House. But I think the thing is, once it's spewed, the media has a responsibility, again, to fact check and be um, responsible. But what you had were a lot of very uh, far right, right leaning, so-called conservative outlets that reported what he said as fact and as truth and continued to sp spread conspiracy theories, consp continued to spread election campaign disinformation that really got people riled up. And all of that fueled from November of this past year all the way up through the January 6th insurrection. The, insurrection. the, the pot just boiled over at that yes. point. The and pot I, had boiled over. I 100% agree with you. And I feel everything that you said in terms of like, the, you know, this is 45th. This is who he is. He, you know, is a, he loves the spotlight. He's a narcissist. He says things that benefit him that aren't actually true. But there is a responsibility of the media that I don't think they took seriously. Like, and I'm, I'm going to say five years ago, not even four years ago when he was in office, but before he got in office, his his birtherism movement, where he was requesting, you know, the birth certificate of President Barack Obama and how the media never really pushed back in any significant way. It was just, they were just like fueling it and fueling it. And then when President Obama finally produced his birth certificate, which I'm like, I'm stubborn. I would have said no, just off GP. You're not gonna make me, you're not gonna other me and make me Hello. feel like I don't belong here. I ain't, I'm not succumbing to your craziness, but right. respect and love to President Obama. He produced his birth certificate. And instead of um, the media like acknowledging how toxic and how dangerous that was, they just kind of backed off like nothing ever really happened. And 45th took credit for that. Like, oh, I made him show us his birth certificate. I made him, you know, and it's just like now that he's, you know, out of office and everything that happened with the insurrection, they want to, you know, they don't want to take any responsibility. They kind of want to back away. And I think it was um, Brittany, I always get her name wrong because she 
her name on Instagram is different from what her actual name is. But Brittany oh, Miss Pacquiao, Pac- Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Yes, mm-hmm. her. Like how she said, you don't get to, uh, and I don't. I'm, I'm going to look up the exact quote, but it's like you don't get to sow the seeds of hatred and then w- wipe your hands and walk away. Like mm-hmm. uh, well, here's mm-hmm. what she said: you do not get to wipe the dirt off your hands when the seed you planted has sprouted. Yep. And I feel like that's what the media is doing in, in addition to some other companies, which I'm going to come back to that. But like, y'all want to walk away like, okay, well, you know, now this is bad. Let's take him off these media platforms. Yeah, he's been bad. It's been dangerous. Um, and so you, you, the last point you made was like, it boiled over and it got us to the point of January 6th. So um, I want to talk a little bit about that. So, you know, we both read an article about the media's role in the insurrection. Can you share more on your thoughts about that, specifically about what happened on uh, January 6th and how the media played a role in that? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I'll say initially that the, the media situation on January 6th was twofold. It was mainstream media and local media reporting. And then it was the idiots who had the nerve to self-report. Thus, calling themselves out and calling attention to the fact that they were criminals breaking into federal property, you know, threatening to do harm to elected officials, sitting members of Congress, threatening to hang the vice president. I mean, how ridiculous. Not only is that absurd, it's dangerous, it's illegal, it is harmful, it is toxic. But the fact that they had their own cell phones rolling the entire time. So media itself, no matter the form, in that case, they got themselves in trouble by by producing their own form of media to to highlight the buffoonery that they engaged in. Um, And and on the other hand, I'll say that just uh, how how media helped play a role in that was, again, fueling this this election campaign disinformation. The election campaign disinformation. I think I've got it mixed up. But um, essentially, back in uh, mid-January, James Murdoch, who's the son of Fox News mogul Rupert Murdoch, he said that news outlets that promoted, quote unquote, lies are to blame for the U.S. Capitol riot. And that's huge news. You know, Rupert's, you know, he's he's the longtime, you know, head of Fox News. And obviously they are they consider themselves um, far right and conservative and, and always uh, prop up what Trump and his administration are doing. Um, and, and the lens that they see things through doesn't tend to match what other outlets are reporting. They are always leaning in favor of the right. Um, right meaning Republican in this case, definitely not right by any moral or ethical standard. Okay. Um, so, so James Murdoch said that, um, you know, the, the news outlets that propagate lies uh, for their role in unleashing insidious and uncontrollable forces that will be with us for years. Um, essentially, he broke away from the family's uh, news empire last year after he and his wife were frustrated with some of the news core coverage on climate change. Um, so he had a recent article, um, I believe, with um, uh, the Financial Times, perhaps, um, that uh, he said that, you know, he didn't name any outlets by name, but he said that just spreading disinformation, whether it's about the election, public health or climate change has real world consequences. So in addition to the insurrection, think about what he said, the election, the disinformation about the election is what spewed the, the ill feelings and the steal the steal the uh, stop the steal campaign. All that was fueled by the media. You get to the Capitol, 
folks aren't wearing masks. Again, we're in a global pandemic. So then there's a public health crisis that, again, has been downplayed by certain media outlets. Why? Because the administration themselves downplayed it because they downplayed it themselves. Climate change, that's never been fully acknowledged. I mean, we've been pulled, Trump has pulled out of so many uh, world affiliations and organizations that I think uh, now the Biden administration will be like joining, for example, the World Health Organization again, thank goodness. But um, again, I do think the media, certain media outlets bear grave responsibility and uh, and, in perpetuating false narratives. And I, I'm gonna hop on a soapbox real quick because the thing, I think the thing that really grinds my gears. So we talk about media and, you know, we think about the media as like news outlets, like you said, but also like you said, people and their cell phones can serve as like these like immediate news outlets. And when I think about one of the spaces where that happens quite frequently is Facebook. And Facebook gets on my nerves. I'm not mm-hmm. on Facebook for a number of reasons, but they get on my nerves because they played a huge role in 45th's rise to power. Um, they, uh, you know, he, let me backtrack. So Peter Thiel, which is, I think he's the founder of PayPal, conservative libertarian guy, does a lot of investing. Um, anywho, he was courting white supremacists and he's an investor in and a board member on Facebook. And he was welcoming the Proud Boys to get on Facebook. He was lobbying Mark Zuckerberg to change Facebook policies on running ads and actually saying, don't check, don't fact check the ads that you're putting on Facebook. And that had a direct impact on 45th's platform leading up to his time in office while he was in office. And then even, you know, in his final days as the president. And I think what bothers me the most is that some of these media outlets kind of coming back to what I said earlier, y'all ain't do boo. Y'all didn't do boo to stop this man from spewing the lies, the fake news, the inaccurate information. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna take him off our platform. He's not allowed. Well, the damage is done. And Mm -hmm. so undo that damage. And I really, I really want the media, including Facebook, because I include them in that, but I want mm-hmm. them to think about how can you thoughtfully undo that damage, which you may not be able to do, but be more critical about how you move forward so that stuff like this doesn't happen again. Because people are like, oh my gosh, people die. Well, what do you think was going to happen? Like they, they, they told us what they were going to do and they did it. And that I will say that's probably one of the most consistent things of 45th. He's always said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he usually does it. Um, And so, I mean, I guess there's consistency there, but it's like how the media, I think I get frustrated because I think that they have to be better and they have to do better and understand that people's lives are at stake. And it wasn't until January 6th that they decided to realize like, oh, okay, this is real. And like you mentioned with James Murdoch and his comments, like, yeah, maybe y'all will stop doing what y'all were doing because now you understand how dangerous it is, how dangerous Mm -hmm. it is. And it shouldn't have had to come to that, but unfortunately that's where we're at. And so I guess, I mean, I know I was like on a rant about Facebook, but I guess my larger point is that I feel like the media needs to do better. And so what are some things that you think specifically like that they can act, that can be actionable things for them to do better as the media? And I know media is just so broad. So you can think about it as in terms of like companies or organizations or individual people, like what are some things that can be done differently? 
It's a good question, Joaquina, because to your point, media or, or rather multimedia in this era is so broad and so vast and there's so many different platforms. So for example, when we saw uh, Trump be banned and banished from Twitter a handful of days before his term ended, it's like, okay, so where was this four years ago? Where was this when, when in Charlottesville, he said that these were fine people? Where was this at the debates when he told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by? Where were these, and again, so this is the difference in terms of actionable steps. Twitter, private company, Facebook, private. So again, they could have taken steps if they wanted to, to pull down more of his tweets or to block him or to ban him for days or weeks or periods out of time long before, again, the pot boiled over. And they didn't. Right. And they didn't. So, you know, and, and I definitely can't I can't speak for what private companies uh, do or don't do. But what they should and shouldn't do is, again, at all times, be ethical, especially when it comes to um, inciting violence and just spewing c continual uh, lies that that ultimately impact people's lives, especially when it comes to race. And, and that's what a lot of this boils down to in this country. In right. terms of the media. Um, again, like I said, uh, I think probably in the past four years, you may have had more news outlets have more new, more fact checkers than ever before. But th that those that that was the outlets that probably chose to invest in it. Again, there were outlets that simply ran with what the president said because they believed that their view of America, in terms of their audience's view of white America, was being threatened. Mm -hmm. And so I think you know one thing I, I guess I would just point out is there just tends to be a double standard. And what we've particularly seen in, in, in media over the past um, administration between uh, black and white issues. Think about who covered social justice and who didn't mm -hmm. when they start when the right when they loot, we shoot. What happened to that on January 6th? Right. You know, um, between Democrats and Republicans, you know, the, that that type of coverage, it varies by outlet um, between. Think about you mentioned the birther issue mm -hmm. and taxes. We heard about the birther all the time. We, and, and, he, and, and again, Obama produced the birth certificate. Trump, what about your taxes? How, right. uh, you, you, you dragged that on again. No one, you know, it was pressed definitely by a lot of the print outlets. Definitely so. Um, but I don't know that you heard too many right-leaning outlets asking him for it. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, the public health situation. COVID impact versus not. COVID is impacting black and brown people. So guess what? There's a segment of America that doesn't care because they don't think it's them. Uh, they don't care about the lives of black and brown people and because they are white and because some of them believe that they're superior and their president had enabled that and allowed them to believe and, and fuel that white nationalism, um, they disregarded the public health news. Mm -hmm. So folks are walking around not wearing masks. Um, folks are still having the times of their lives, throwing massive parties and gatherings and ho you know holding weddings with lots of people that are going back and infecting other people. like. There was no sense of, um, you know, very much a sense of individualism. And I think that definitely stemmed from the top down too. Instead of a collective society, how is what I'm doing impacting my neighbor? Um, again, I, I think the media had a, a large role in that, but um, I don't know. Sometimes it just comes down to, to good old ethics. Are, are, are you, are at the end of the day, when you, when you have a microphone in front of a public official's face or when, you're, when you have a tape recorder or even now in the virtual world, when you're listening to a press conference via webinar, you know, are you taking the information and really doing a deep dive to check everything that they've said? Go back, check the record, you know, find is, is everything that's being said actually accurate? And if it isn't, call it out. Right. 
call it out. And it's not about attacking. It's just about presenting the facts. That's what objective news reporting is. Hey, you know, Trump said he had the biggest inauguration crowd in the history. Okay. That's actually not true. Right. Right. You know, like, you know, instead of just reporting what he said, back it up with some facts and some based, you know, evidence. Yeah. And honestly, I think the question of morals and ethics it shouldn't, it shouldn't be relative, but it is relative. Cause I feel like some of these companies, like certain news outlets that I'm not going to name, but we can uh, assume who I'm talking about. Y'all don't want real news. You want to perpetuate fake news because it works in your favor. And so I think some, honestly, I think some media outlets will never, um, will never think morally or ethically about what information they're putting forth because it, it doesn't serve their interest. And that's so unfortunate. That's so unfortunate. It is. But again, I think that's, you know, I think that is honestly maybe who America always was. Yeah. And if there's anything that 45 and his administration did was bring that fragmented piece of society that is very much black and white, brought it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. You really got to see who America, you know, I think I, I, I heard someone say that under Obama, America was what we hoped, you know, it, it's the, the hope and the dream that we wanted for America, but, but Trump was the real reality show. Under him, you really got to see who people were. Mm-hmm. And that means your everyday people in the streets who did not like black people, and that was very apparent. Uh, and that was media outlets that continued to perpetuate um, disinformation because again, they even believed their sense of America, which to them is a, a white America. Um, was being threatened by black and brown people. That's just, that's the bottom line. Yeah. That, that, it's just, it's just, it's, it's the, literally the black and white of it. And so I'm going to shift gears a little bit, not a whole bunch, but why should this topic, media, how we, how the media impacts our understanding of politics, why should black women specifically care about this topic? Why does it matter? It matters because for so long, our voices have been silenced, our views have been muted, and our, you know, the work we've done hasn't always been publicly validated, particularly by the media. Now, obviously, don't, don't get me wrong. We have high moments. We have incredible moments. We have Michelle Obama. We have Kamala Harris. We have Oprah Winfrey. We have Gail, right? So we have, we have some major, we have Yamiche, right? We have April. Uh, we, uh, we have Brittany. We have incredible women. Um, who are, who are, oh, and Abby Phillip, I cannot forget about Abby, who's about to have her own show now um, on, on CNN. Um, we cannot, you, you know, we can't definitely dismiss all the incredible uh, women of color who have mics in their hands or have pens and papers and notepads and who are out here. Um, Joanne Reed, you know, spitting the truth, like giving people, giving people the facts. Um, but, and I think, and of course, as you'll see too, oftentimes it's, uh, it is not the far right outlets that are giving these women a voice and a platform. Because again, our voices have often been silent, shunned, pushed to the back. But what I think we saw um, is that the work of our people matters. Look at states, God bless Stacey Abrams. Look at Stacey Abrams and what she and several other black women in Georgia were able to do to turn that state blue. So much so, so again, their work was dismissed and invalidated because of the recount. How many times did they do a recount in Georgia? Mm-hmm. Think of all the recounts they had for the presidential election, then having the Senate runoff. Think about it, it just, it, it, it's because, oh, so 
because the votes were in favor of the Democrats, it can't be real because black women were leading, um, you know, powerful movements to knock on doors, to make phone calls, to do election drives, taking people to the polls, making sure folks mailed in ballots. So that work can't be real. It can't be validated because it was done by black women. Um, so I think it, it's more important than ever that black and brown uh, voices and especially black women's voices are elevated um, in the media because we have proven, as we always do, we've been proving it since long before the Shirley Chisholm, mm -hmm. <laughs> long before her day, you know, mm -hmm. um, but we didn't always have the spotlight to, um, to really acknowledge that what we were doing was making a difference. And if anybody could see, nobody can deny it now. You cannot deny it, that it made a difference. Yeah. Think about how long the November election dragged out because results for the longest just seemed neck and neck, which I also thought was a very, very sad moment in American history that that many more people would continue to vote for someone who supported bigotry, racism, division, misogyny, someone who has paid, ha is reported and actually verified that he paid off a porn star, has so many sexual assault allegations against it that people would vote for that just to maintain their status quo of whiteness in America because that's really what it is. They felt that their white, um, their beautiful, sacred, patriotic white America was being threatened, that, that, that they would rather not have a democratic leader in power. That's what was sad to me. Um, about America. So if there's anything that that uh, that that why this is important for black women is is because is because Kamala Harris, look where it got us. Look, we, we are still proving that we are worthy, capable, qualified to be in positions of power. And now uh, God got the last laugh because mm -hmm. Kamala Harris is second in command of these United States. Right. Mm -hmm. And they have an incredible, uh, very diverse uh, administration and cabinet. And, and I think, again, that goes to show that's what America really looks like and our voices matter. And I applaud the media that have taken the time to lift our voices up. And I applaud all the women um, that have had their own platforms uh, and done their, really done their own thing on social media to lift up their voices and their, their statements and kind of what they do. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I feel like, you know, God gives us the jobs that we're built for sometimes like and I think about some of these and sometimes it's not what we're built for and we do it anyway but I think about some of these journalists and these reporters and like I think about Yamish who time after time is silenced by 45th but she still shows up to provide a voice you know in a way that represents people that look like us and that's important and I know I don't, I'm like I don't have the wherewithal to do that because you got one time 45th to try to shut me up and we're gonna have some problems you know but mm -hmm. each, each time she showed up she asked her questions she and she didn't let him stop her from getting her questions out because he would talk over her he would dismiss her like oh well you used to work for a different company and what that got to do with anything and so I think that you know black women have had a unique space in politics in that we vote in ways that not just focus on our well-being but the the wellness of the country because you yep. still have you know like you said it's sad that these 70 million plus people still voted for 45th and and, and as sad as that is I think that is that is the true reflection of America that white people will go to any cost to protect their privilege and we still have black women who understand that, you know, I'm not only voting in my best interest, I'm voting in the best interest of what this country can be. And for me as someone who, I used to get stressed out about politics. And that's probably one of the reasons why I don't 
watch the news and I read my news because certain images just stress me out. And for a minute I detached and I was like, you know, I'm not going to engage in politics, but I think it's important for every black person, um, especially black women to understand politics, how it impacts us. How, how can we use our platforms? How can we use our voices? And I think the women that you mentioned definitely show us that time after time. April Ryan, Joy Reid, you know, Yamiche Alcindor, um, just a whole bunch of Black women. And some, you know, and some of our non-Black sisters too. Like I love AOC. I love her. Mm-hmm. Always speaks truth to power. Rachel Maddow, like they- Yes, yes, they, she sure does. Know, they speak truth to power. And so I think it's important for us to, you know, understand our role and like how, uh, how it's important for us to understand the topic so that we can vote intelligently and that we can make change so that, you know, like Stacey Abrams, when one door closes, okay, well, I'm gonna open this other door and I'm gonna bring all these people with me to change what this country looks like. And that's, that's exactly. so powerful. It, it is, and it shows um, the resilience that we have too. Stacey didn't let the, it, it wasn't even, a, the governor's role, was, the governor's um, election was not a defeat for her, it was stolen. And it, it was just wrong, everything about that was wrong. And it was set up for her to not win. Mm-hmm. But she didn't let that stop her because she knew there was more work to be done and it got done. And I'm going to read to you, shout out to Brittany again, Brittany Patnett Cunningham, who um, on the day that the insurrection happened was also when the historic uh, Senate elections happened where Reverend Warnock and uh, Mr. Ossoff were elected in the state of Georgia to the U.S. Senate. Brittany says, Black people didn't save you. Black people saved ourselves once again. Black people saved themselves in a state that tried very hard to prevent that from happening again. But that's the funny thing about justice. When Black people win, everybody benefits fancy that. Brittany is spot on as always. Spot on as always. 100%. Yep. Everyone reaps the benefits when we do what's right. But again, people don't do right by us often and frequently, and especially in positions of power. Well, Ashley, I thank you so much. This has been great conversation. And I appreciate you taking time to, you know, lend your thoughts, your talents, your voice. Um, Like I said, I, I think that you're a media mogul in the making. And so I am just Thank you. to have you on the show. And before we wrap up, I tell myself every time I have a guest, you know, I want to ask them the same question. And so, you know, our this podcast is Black Lady Adulting. And so it focuses on, you know, different issues in Black ladies' adults' life. And so, um, you know, we, we, we talk about a lot of different things. And today it was politics and media and how that impacts, impacts Black women and how we show up. But what is one thing that you love about being a Black lady who is adulting? Uh, One thing I love about being a Black lady who is adulting is that at this point, especially with where I am in life and in careers, that I can be unapologetic uh, unapologetic about who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think the beautiful thing is that mainstream U.S. society is finally catching up with that. Um, When I began my reporting career in the early 2000s, I always wore big curly hair. I was wearing big curly natural hairstyle styles years before it ever like became super popular. Mm-hmm. And I was a, a newspaper reporter, but I would still be sending out tapes to uh, be a local television reporter. And I would have other uh, black women that would tell me, well, you're probably not getting the job because you wear your hair curly. You should wear your hair straight. And I'm like, but this is kind of who I am. It's used to who I'm being. And, and I never did 
I will say, quote unquote, conform just to the straight hair look, even though it might have landed me a job. And they were probably right at that time. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I ended up where I was supposed to be. I've always had uh, I've always kind of created my own lane. So at the newspaper, I started a web show that featured talented students because I was an education reporter. I did a weekly series where we talked about, you know, Friday night highlights and sports because sports were huge. Uh, in the city in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I covered news. Um, like I said, do my own web show now or wear my hair however I want to wear it because I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, politics, pop culture, Black interest news. Um, and I had an appearance on CNN to talk about the nation's historic and longest lasting government shutdown. And I had the biggest Afro because that's how I showed up that day. It wasn't how I happened to show up on the news. It's just because who I was. And I was embraced. And I just love the fact, like, for example, the Crown Act that has been passing in different states, you know, where it's, it's it, you cannot discriminate against women in the workplace because of how they wear their hair. I love that there are, you know, my black is beautiful. It's a whole campaign by Procter & Gamble that I've exci been excited to be a part of through UNCF as a youth speaker. Um, so many companies now have t-shirts that, you know, the, and, and puzzles and games and so many things that celebrate our culture now. Um, I'm excited that as a black lady adulting, these are things that are now embraced that I can pass on Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I have children, that they can be so proud of their blackness um, and, and live in a world where it's celebrated and acknowledged, too. We don't have to dim our light for anybody. Nobody. Yes. Thank you. I love that. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. You are welcome. I've enjoyed talking with you. And um, yeah, shout out, like I said, to all the media mavens um, and the media gentlemen who were doing their thing as well. And shout out to you, Joaquina. I think this is an incredible platform. And uh, keep shining your light on Black ladies who are adulting because you're doing it. And now for the My Girlfriends segment. Today's My Girlfriend segment is dedicated to several women. Every time I do one of these segments, I struggle to pick just one amazing black woman, especially because there's so many dope women to choose from. But when I think about media and politics, I automatically think of social justice work, freedom work, and the women who dream and work to ensure black people get free. I think about all the black women who have inspired me to re-engage in this space, women like Brittany Packnett Cunningham, who's an activist, educator, organizer, and leader, who used her platform to tackle issues like police brutality, racism, and white supremacy. I think about Yamiche Alcindor, a journalist who asks very tough questions to the nation's leaders despite attempts to silence her voice. Other journalists and reporters like Abby Phillip, Joy Ann Reed, and April Ryan who use their powerful voices to reflect truth and justice. They dream for a better country and do the work to make sure it is so. I use the word dream because of a passage I read in Toni Morrison's The Source of Self-Regard. In, in the Sarah Lawrence commencement address, she talks about the obligation to lift up minoritized people and the responsibility that the graduates have to ensure that there is justice. She implores the audience to think about, to dream, what this country would look like if society did not take advantage of vulnerable populations. And so I'm gonna read a quick passage that really stood out to me. Well, now you may be asking yourself, what is all this? I can't save the world. What about my life? I didn't ask to come here. I didn't ask to be born. Didn't you? I put it to you that you did. You not only asked to be born, you insisted on life. That is why you are here. No other reason. It was too easy not to be. Now that you are here, you have to do something you respect, don't you? Your parents did not dream you up. You did. 
I'm simply urging you to continue the dream you started. For dreaming is not irresponsible. It is the first order of human business. It is not entertainment. It is work. When Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream, he was not playing. He, he was serious. When he imagined it, envisioned it, created it in his own mind, it began to be. And we must dream it too to give it the heft and stretch and longevity it deserves. Don't let anybody, anybody convince you this is the way the world is and therefore it must be. It must be the way it ought to be. In those words, she reminds us that we're not here by happenstance. We're here for a purpose. We're here for a reason. And we can't settle for what the world looks like. We can't settle for what the country looks like right now. We have to do the work and dream to create a world as it should be, not as it is. And so the women that I mentioned and some that I didn't are working and dreaming to create a world as it ought to be. And I thank you for that.